Welcome to The Owl Hoot, a podcast for the environmentally curious, with me, Caroline Norbury. On each episode, I chat with a guest who contributes in some way to protecting the planet on matters of climate change, sustainability, biodiversity and pollution. Here is a place where you can gain new knowledge and be inspired. Enjoy listening. Here with me on the podcast today is Dr. Helena Clements. Helena is Associate Medical Director at Sherwood Forest Hospital's NHS Trust. And until July this year, she worked as a consultant paediatrician. Helena has been living sustainably in an eco house for over 20 years. And within the last five years, she's been driving climate action and sustainability within the Nottinghamshire Health community. She is the Climate Action Clinical Lead for Sherwood Forest Hospitals and clinical lead for the Greener Integrated Care System. I'm so looking forward to hearing about the sorts of changes occurring within the NHS. So it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Helena to the podcast. Hi, nice to see you. So I'm going to start by asking you, Helena, a bit about your early life. What was it in your early life that led you to want to live sustainably in the first instance, but to have the sort of environmental climate very much on your agenda? So I think it really goes back to um, early days as a, as a newly qualified doctor. And I, I was actually born in Africa and my parents had talked very fondly about uh, their life out there. And I did an elective, a student elective in Sierra Leone. And it became very much something that I wanted to do um, as a young doctor. So um, my husband and I went out to Namibia with voluntary service overseas when we were in our um, sort of mid to late 20s for about two and a half years. And had an amazing experience. So, you know, I didn't really have a lot of knowledge. Um, I was a budding paediatrician. I'd just passed my exam. So I I was helpful, but certainly no expert in anything. And it was just a very uh, impactful time for us both. My husband's an engineer. And what became really clear to us as we were trying to help develop health services uh, in in a rural African hospital, Namibian hospital, was that actually development and sustainability needed to be back in in the West, if you like, in developed more developed countries, because they were really aspiring to have everything that we have here in the UK. And actually, that isn't going to be possible for the whole population of the world. And that was very clear to us. And actually, rather than saying you can't have what we've got, I felt or we felt as a couple that we wanted to go back and look at sustainability and what that really meant going forward. And it was sort of just, uh, I mean, obviously stuff has been known about uh, climate change for a long time, but it was really sustainability rather than climate change, which was the buzzword then. And so we came back to Nottinghamshire and and, and our housing project uh, where we live was looking for a family and it just fitted exactly with, with our needs. And so I carried on with my paediatric career and uh, we built our sustainable houses. But it's always been there in my life. So I used to have two different separate lives. One was, you know, Helena Tilly as, as, a, as a wife and a householder and a mother in my wellies and my jeans digging and uh, whatever. And then I'd, I'd, I'd be at a hospital as Dr. Clements uh, with my, my high heels and my dresses on uh, being a paediatrician. And those two lives were very separate for a very long time. And, and I had a conversation um, uh, about five years ago um, talking about what had happened in my life over time. And I suddenly realised that actually 
the climate stuff, which is becoming increasingly important, particularly as I became a grandmother, actually, was we were sort of doing as a, as a couple. But actually, because I'm now a senior consultant and a medical manager, I could use my influence and power, if you like, to actually think about climate from within the NHS. And, and that realisation was a, a total epiphany for me. And, um, and I immediately joined those two things together. And I talked about it a lot. And we were um, a trust that had been in quite significant dif difficulty in coming out of the other side and had a very energetic CEO with Richard Mitchell and a very thoughtful and, and energetic uh, executive team um, who were prepared to listen to me and, and act, acknowledge that climate actually did, was everybody's business and we all need to do something about it. So they they did actually fund um, some a small amount of climate action work for me to do, uh, which I think has been really unusual. There aren't many funded doctors uh, to do this work. And, and although it's only two hours a week, it's, it's really important that that is seen as important enough as well as the clinical work that I was doing. And since then, I've really, you know, been um, working very closely right across the truck trust we've got a climate action team which is extremely multidisciplinary and and of course climate has become more and more um, higher and higher on the agenda so we now have a, a, a greener ICS group and um, because I was chomping at the bit to to be heard and to really spread the word I fell very naturally into that role as well so I've been leading um, our Nottinghamshire group as well. And um, for me, it, it feels now the most important thing I can do before I completely finish my career. And I've absolutely loved being a pediatrician. And in fact, you know, I'm very much thinking there's no point working on children's health if they don't have a future. And, and it was a very black and white sort of thought in my head. And I have very be, been very lucky to have um, a, a new uh, younger doctor that has been able to take over my work with in paediatrics and children with developmental needs to free me up to spend more time thinking about this. And that's been absolutely great. So I, I now um, I'm doing that as well as a, a, quite a broad portfolio in the trust, which does include paediatrics and transitions from children's to adult services. I'm also very interested in end of life and, and safeguarding. They're all things that I have done as a paediatrician. But for me, that interface between everything that's good for health um, is good for the planet. And actually, we can't fix everything in health and people do die, including children. But actually, we should be working really hard to make that as dignified and as, as good as we can, often at home if we can succeed with that and, and, and make those good events, um, you know, at the end of life. Um, but actually that fits entirely with all my thoughts about how we do the right things for the planet and, and our resources as well in a sustainable health service. So if we can work on public health and healthy children, we will buy, we should have then healthy adults um, who don't fill our hospitals and have productive, healthy lives uh, instead. So uh, all of these things I, I often refer to, to joining the dots, all of them make sense to me. And all of them, if we get it right, will actually reduce our carbon impact. So those are all things that I'm very, very passionate about. So, so that's sort of a bit of a romp through my, um, my clinical pathway and where, where, I, where it started. So working overseas and wanting to do something sustainable.
It's super interesting that you've gone from having kind of separate identities and being almost like two people. And then all of a sudden, all of these things are coming together, whereby you don't see anything on its own. It, it all interconnects, which is fascinating in, its, in itself. Where did, I mean, because obviously health is a huge, huge you know, topic in itself. And obviously within the, the hospital, there are lots of avenues you could take sustainability and carbon emissions. Where did you start? in that process uh it's a really good question and i'm interested in everything because my other life involved living in a low carbon building you know i'm interested in food production and uh, sustainable food healthy food organic food all of that stuff i'm interested in low carbon houses and and that makes me interested in fuel poverty actually um and and of course the energy crisis is very much linked to that um, so when I approach it within the health, I find it really difficult not to get be interested in everything. And, and I've, I've, I, my poor colleagues um, will sigh because, you know, I do have an opinion about most things. Um, and, and when we talk with our greener ICS board for the Nottinghamshire ICS, I've usually got a comment about all of the different themes that we're looking at, be it transport or the building or water use or food, as well as healthy pathways. So I'm not very good at sort of limiting myself. And, and it means I just spend more time thinking and talking about it, I suppose. What I do think, what we know about carbon emissions in the NHS is that 60% are from clinical activity. So yes, we need to make our buildings greener and more efficient and, and save energy. But actually that is a relatively small amount of a very big picture and, and the, the carbon impact of our medicines and our consumables um, and uh, all of the things that doctors and nurses and therapists do in hospitals is, is the vast majority of our emissions. And so these uh, clinical pathways um, and you know greener prescribing um, and all of those things are really, really important. And so what I've really been trying to focus on, particularly at the moment, is engaging clinicians, so doctors, nurses, therapists, to really think about all of the different aspects of, of health and health promotion um, and, and greening that if we, we can. But I, I am interested in all of the other bits. And I sort of want doctors to be interested in housing and, you know, we need clean air to improve lung health. So actually to have clean air, we need to have better transport and um, green spaces. So I'm, I'm trying to, to sort of get people to join those dots. And so I, I think a lot, a lot of what I do is that dot joining process and talking about it in a lot of different uh, fora, really. It sounds like, I'm just making this phrase up, you're like a networking evangelist. Where <laughs> yes. you're, you're trying to make sure each different department or type of person that's working within you is looking at some aspect. Yeah. Um, because because the NHS is diverse in terms of staff, you, obviously you've got all your clinicians and caring staff, but you've also got administrative type staff. Are they in, are the different types of people that you're engaging with, are they are they getting on board with it as are you finding different groups are like okay i can see the link to health and therefore it motivates me and other people are going oh i buy things for the building and therefore that that makes me curious what are, what are those sorts of links with staff been like 
So, so it was, it's been a very organic thing in that, you know, we have a climate action team and that was just me getting out there and saying, you know, if you're interested in joining me and helping develop things and, and, and the, the group of, you know, regular attenders includes nurses, therapists, admin staff, general managers, um, we've got obviously got estates um, and the uh, sustainability team. I've got representation from the uh, catering department, uh, waste, so um, comms. So I think, you know, actually it, it's people who are just keen have got involved. But when you start to have conversations with, you know, anybody about their particular line of work and I and I bring in something about climate action most people will say yeah I get that there might be some buts and ifs but but most people are engaged with that the other thing that's really key about the NHS is that one in 20 people work in some form within the NHS in this country and if you think about that so five percent of the population who then go home and um, talk to their families and friends and their community we we, we are an enormously influential bunch of people if we choose to use that so quite a lot when I'm talking to people about climate I always talk about the the, the sort of three different forms of climate action and so there's our personal actions and lots of people are interested what can I do at home and we talk about that Um, and then there's the corporate which is what do we do in our hospital and potentially you can increase that to the ICS. And then there's the political stuff. So, um, and, and I try and get people to think about that, you know, what they can do in each of those areas, because, you know, depending on who you are and where you are in the NHS, you may feel that you've got no political power or you've got no corporate power, but I can recycle or I can save energy in my home. And that's just as important. And when you multiply about that by 5% of the population and the people that they influence, you've then potentially got an enormous groundswell of people who can make a difference. And yeah, so so I, I think it cuts right across the, the NHS and, and people understand it. And also because it's about, you know, everything is linked to health, people sort of get that as well. You know, we all, we were here in the health service, we want to make people healthier and do the right thing and think about our children and our children's future. It, it, it makes sense to people. So I think that is, uh, has been a very potent way of amplifying the, the impact. It's amazing the point that you make on the reach, the potential reach yeah. of that's, that's got, that has got power in itself, hasn't it? Yeah. Even if you perhaps, I don't know, this is a, the next question I've got in my head is because, because you've got this quite a big, nice bit of power. What about the political power? Are, the, are you, is that, are you getting anything coming down from government about how how the NHS is looking, or is it all pushing upwards? <laughs> Which direction is it? So yes to both, um, and I think that doctors and nurses, and maybe patients, I don't know, um, underestimate how much power they have, um, and I think we should use it to demand a healthy future. So so I think there's that bit. Um, but actually NHSE and so NHS England are also very engaged with this. So they are we've pledged to become a zero carbon NHS service by 2040. So brought that forward 10 years and increasingly year on year, they're giving us targets and some resources to to make that happen. So, you know, even just pre-COVID in 2019, I was going to conference, you know, our even our college conference, our Royal College, and saying, why aren't we talking about climate change in the in the NHS? And now 
you know, our college, our Royal College of Pediatricians has got a whole climate action team and all of the Royal Colleges have got climate action groups working on this. And then not NHS England similarly are performance managing us to say, how are you addressing this carbon reduction? And so I've just seen a graph of how our hospital at Sherwood is going to go from this much energy and and a carbon footprint to this by 2040. And it's a huge ask because actually as we speak at the moment, our ill health population is growing. Um, and and so our costs and our impact will grow unless we do something drastically different. And 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 that's, you know, we've got to turn the tanker. And I think that's that's really difficult. And we haven't got much time. So so yes, there's a quite a lot of push down politically, which is really, really welcome. I think that we can push up as well. And because, you know, it's even if the if the NHS succeed this, there's so much more, you know, it's it it can't just be about us making ourselves zero carbon. It's got to be about um, oil and gas extraction, fossil fuels. It's all of those things. Otherwise, we're not going to win this. And just to follow on something you said about reach again, that's really important. Not only have we got the staff reach but of course we can influence our patients so if we can help our patients be healthier that's the a green tick for the for the planet um, and actually we can talk about um the planet and you know the, the climate emergency and the health emergency because those two things interlink directly with our patients so our, that reach is even greater if we choose to use it and and for me that that's you know, has enormous potential, but it needs people and energy. And, and, you know, when we're looking at another really difficult winter and fuel poverty and all of the other things that are impacting on, on all of us this winter, it's quite hard to get people to prioritise climate stuff, except that people want to reduce their bills. And by definition, that will be reducing energy, but if, if we can help them to do it. Um, so there's a lot to do and a lot of, of, of potential for sure. If we can grab it. Yeah. And in terms of that patient conversation, how do you envisage that sort of happen happening that you're trying to tie in this is how you can be healthier and this will help the planet too? How 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 do you envisage that conversation occurring? I think that's something that we need to practice and it's not easy because if you, if you are offering people opportunities to have a, a low carbon alternative um or you know, say not having an operation or having an operation, and one of them is cost less and there's less carbon, and the other one might fix them for a bit but not for very long or whatever. Trying to get people to weigh up the pros and cons of that and the immediate compared with this this medium term, it's not even long-term view, is quite quite a difficult conversation, particularly when you're making decisions about health. But but there are things that we can start to get people to think about, you know, like a healthy diet. A healthy diet is a lower carbon, less meat, a plant based diet, a a managing a good weight and getting exercise is and and maybe leaving your car at home is is good for air quality, is good for the planet and it's good for for us and for our children. So we can we can start to build that in as as sort of part of the, you know, these are good things, not not penalties. And and some things are really easy. You know, if we talk about recycling uh, or, or safe disposal of inhalers, not recycling, but disposing of them safely, people will hear those kind of messages and want to to do their small tasks 
um, that people will want to do. So I think we can build on that. And, and because the ask for becoming a lower carbon economy is going to increase and increase and become increasingly obvious to people, it will be easier to have those conversations as we progress as well. So I think it's just going to take practice. And, and I, I, you know, I don't have all of the answers now, but I think as a paediatrician, it's easier to talk about it because those children that I'm trying to keep healthy now, I need, we need to keep healthy for the next 80 years as well. And we need a planet for them, a healthy planet for them. And so those kinds of conversations are, I think are going to be a bit easier to, to have and, and engage your children and young people because they're, they're learning about it. They know more about it than most adults, I think, these days. And I think we'll engage with that as well. Yeah, I can see how that, that will be helpful. You mentioned food there, um, which I, I always think is particularly interesting with the medical profession, because I think historically food hasn't been in that conversation either. And obviously you're the medic, so <laughs> I'm going to abstain to your professional opinion there. But I've always felt that it's been a bit of a side issue food and it's only just kind of coming in with certain, uh, in my world of podcasting, there are a couple of doctors out there that are, are really into podcasting and sort of selling the idea of how nutrition can really be complementary to health. And also that ties in with the whole, as you say, the the how do we lower carbon through food as well? So that's a really nice mix. Do you find you're drawing in those sorts of conversations that, that you know, again, make more connections to these sorts of perhaps under chatted about conversations? Yeah, I think it's really important. And, you know, it seems really obvious that the, the food that we put in our bodies must be important for our health and yet we don't talk about it and you know as a pediatrician I you know unless there's a problem with the gut I tend not to discuss it or a be you know a weight issue but it's very medicalized and I think what we don't do is just basic you know what we all need is to know how to cook from first principles healthy nutritious food that isn't full of harmful uh, calories um, but healthy calories and vitamins and has been grown locally if possible and be less uh, be more plant-based and, and I think it, you know it's not about taking away choice it's about really engaging with that and moving away from a culture which is based on you know the supermarket culture cheap food um, and you know it, you can see why it's very appealing because bad calories are generally cheaper than good calories, sadly. Um, and we, we need to have those conversations, but in, in that whole, from a health perspective, uh, as much as from a climate perspective. But that needs to be followed up by education, you know, and teaching people to cook again. You know, there were, all that sort of stuff went out of the curriculum, I think, and it's such a pity. And, and many people, you know, who are very well educated don't know how to cook or, uh, you know, using leftovers, saving money. Uh, so I think there's there's so much that we can do um, and, and linking food growing with health. Um, you know, so at Sherwood, we we launched um, in 2021 at the Hope Orchard, which was um, really trying to link the sort of post-COVID recovery with health, environment, mental health and, and, and joining those dots again and so we, we've planted a lot of fruit trees both within our trust but around in the area and um you know linking just sort of making people think that a fruit tree and eating fruit is a healthy thing as well as trees supporting the planet and all of that sort of stuff so so the hope the hope orchard is is a virtual thing there are trees 
at Sherwood Forest Hospitals. There's trees in my garden which have been signed up to the um, Hope Orchard. And, you know, I, I gave one yesterday to a, a consultant colleague who's retiring. So she, she got a, a plum tree. Um, so it's the concept of just trying to get people to think about health and food and the planet all at the same time, which for me works. Absolutely. There's so many multiple wins there, isn't there? If you tie all these yeah, things together, it's, um, it's, it's great. Yes. So you mentioned the green plan earlier. What, I mean, I, what, if it, if you can talk about it in brevity, I'm not sure that how big or wide it is, but what's in the green plan? <laughs> so every ICS, which is for the county integrated care system or integrated care board has developed a green plan. So this is right across the country. And every trust will have a green plan as well. So those were must do's by by last by this April. And they're both they're both at a trust level and an ICS level, and I guess at a national level, they're they're broken down into different chapters. And um there's nine chapters in all. Um, the ones that I'm particularly interested in are on uh, lean pathways, the medicines pathway, uh, the medicines group, um, food and nutrition. And then there are other pathway, uh, other chapters which are looking at transport because people have to come to hospital to work and for their appointments. So there's a lot of and, and linking up hospitals and the, procure, the supply chain procurement. So pro supply chain is really critical. Um, there's an IT chapter. There's a there's a chapter about people and growing the right kind of people in tomorrow's anyway uh, tomorrow's NHS. Um, so, so there's a chapter on that. And obviously there's the buildings. So uh, looking at lower carbon buildings, getting rid of oil and gas uh, where we can um, in our hospitals and certainly making any new buildings zero carbon if possible. Um, and it's it's all of all of the trust. So for, for Nottinghamshire, it's it's at, uh, Sherwood, Nottingham um, University Hospitals and the Community Trust, which includes mental health. But then we also work with public health and the councils and primary care. So it's everybody working together and sort of joining those dots so that everything links into a lower carbon um, health system. But it's broader than that because it includes things like transport and food, um, which come in through our councils education uh, as well so really really exciting and and to sit at a uh, at a board table with um you know a sustainability um leads from the councils as well as all of the other hospitals gps and public health is, is really exciting one of our procurement leads was describing going out um with a health a district nurse for a day and and understanding that you know, a nurse going out to replace a dressing on a wound, say, um, you know, we, we procure very carefully in the NHS, but a lot of that's been cost based. And actually some things might be cheaper, but if it means that the nurse has to come out three times a week instead of twice a week, then you've got more journeys, more cost um, and an extra dressing. So actually all of those savings, if you add up all of that and what it impacts on the patient, it, you know, those savings are not real and, and sort of looking at it in a different way. And he could see that so much more clearly by going to a home and seeing a nurse in action. And, and that will change how he procures a dressing. Uh, and for me, that was really powerful. And I think, you know, we, we need to be thinking like that across all of our different threads. 
uh, which you know for me is, is really exciting and again it's making those connections isn't it it's, uh, and i imagine because of the hugeness of the nhs and all the different levels making those connections is going to be vital to getting things done I've got two questions in my head. One of this is a positive. Which have been the quick wins? And what have been the frustrations? And I'm thinking that there's bound to be bureaucracy and all of that in there. But uh, yeah, what what has been easy to sort of get started on to make a change? So some of the quick wins um, have been identified through, you know, groups working on this over time. So one of the things we've done, you know, which is a national programme, is reducing the metered dose inhalers which have got a very high carbon impact and that's work that's been done um, through hospitals gps pharmacies and and really getting a joined up approach to this and it's not that quick but you know over the last year that's been uh, there's a lot of work done on that to try and get greener prescribing but actually fundamental to that is improving asthma and copd care so that you don't need to use your Um, salbutamol inhaler all the time which is your reliever your rescue treatment because actually if we got your preventative treatment right then you're in better nick you're um, healthier and you don't need this bad inhaler which is is actually really bad for the environment so so there's a lot of work around that and actually the other thing is about disposal of those inhalers um, and we don't re- we can't recycle them easily um, but we can safely dispose of them so there's quite a lot of work around that and because those the gases in those inhalers are so bad for the environment you know thousands hundreds of times more worse than co2 it is a quick win to address that one thing which we've we are doing and and is being doing done nationally so so that's one and and we've done quite a lot of work on um, anesthetic gases uh, again which are very there's one particular one called desflurane which is particularly bad for climate gases if you like for global warming and and the government have asked us to reduce each year the amount we're using we've nearly got to naught and that's a really important win and and it's getting people to think about you know some of these really um high ticket uh, greenhouse gases if you like and making a difference other wins are much harder to do and and changing people's behaviors and um the problem with procurement is its whole life cycle stuff so you know, if if you have a, a medicine that I use in my hospital, you know, it's had to be developed, it's had to be made somewhere, it's had to be transported, it's packaged in about 20 different layers of stuff which needs to be addressed. Then I prescribe it as a doctor and it goes out to a household. And if they don't use it, it can't be reused by anybody else because that's the law. And so it then gets disposed of. So that kind of life cycle stuff needs an enormous number of steps to take out the carbon of that and, and still have a good drug and, and, and effective treatments for our patients. So there's that we need to do a lot of work on, on that kind of, of stuff. And some of it is easy. You know, we can start to demand that things aren't packaged in 10 layers of cardboard, plastic and more plastic. We can look at how things are, are uh, reused and recycled. Um, and that, that that's tricky but I think we will get there with that and then you know transport and all of those stuff need to be addressed too. So I was wondering because again because of the size of the NHS whether you are pushing back on suppliers and saying I'm sorry we want it in 
we want a product in a particular way in terms of packaging or can you think about producing it in a different way that makes it more or less uh, carbon emission impactful yes um we are an enormous um organization and and i think we do have that power um i used to feel quite militant about this actually in the in the early years and you know we must demand it and 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 you know start posting the packaging pack or something but actually what my colleagues in procurement are telling me and, and, and the drug companies as well, which is, has been a, my particular pet hate, what they're telling me is that all of these businesses, you know, are get climate and, and every business inside and outside the NHS and healthcare anyway, is having to work towards these zero carbon standards anyway. So actually it's going to happen whether whether we demand it or not, I think it's happening. We can try and increase the speed, but I think um, it, it is happening. So just like we've got a green plan, I would imagine that a big pharmaceutical company, company like AstraZeneca will also have a, a, a green plan. And yes, they've got a business model and they need to make profits, but they will make profits without wrapping everything in plastic and wasting resources that we don't need to do so I, I think all of those things will happen and the cost of not doing that and, and not addressing climate change of course will increase everybody's costs and and it threatens all of us whether we're you know individuals health professionals or we work in a big corporation so actually we're all working for the same thing and so although we we do have that buying power and I think we should use it I think the the just the economics of this of climate change is such that those things are going to happen, but we just need to make it happen as quickly as we can. And what are the frustrations? Or perhaps you don't have any. <laughs> perhaps it's really easy. <laughs> I think the prop the problem. I think I, I mentioned it earlier is that the NHS is completely overwhelmed. So we're post COVID. We are heading into a winter, which we're really concerned about in terms of just pressure coming through the front door and, and being able to manage that and so it's really hard to push the the climate agenda when people are just worried about getting patients out of A&E and into a bed um, so for me that's very frustrating and we it's very difficult to get people to think about a different model of healthcare when you're so overwhelmed so you know, when we talk about a winter plan, I've sat through a winter plan every year for the last 20 years, and it's always the same, but we need more because we've got more sick people this year than we had last year. And then that's basically what's happening because the demand on the NHS is growing all the time. Now, my vision of the NHS is that we have a health service and we spend money on public health and health and well-being. Um, so that we reduce demand. But the problem is that the money that I want us to spend now will probably not see fruition for another five to 10 years. But if we don't spend it, we definitely won't see it, that fruition. And it, the frustration for me is that the, that we are, uh, the, the NHS is, you know, we've got a one or two bit year budget at best. And yes, we've got long-term plans, but if we don't deliver in year, we it's very hard to get those resources and um I don't quite know how to solve that one I mean I I talk about it a lot and you know trying to get people to have a new vision for health rather than 
um, ill health, which is what our vision is at the moment, is, is quite a challenge. Um, but actually, we we absolutely need to do that. So uh, and we will see, you know, the benefits if, if we have people who are taking exercise and have access to green spaces and use, you know, public transport. And so we've got clean air, then we'll have fewer respiratory problems. We might have less type two diabetes um, in our adult population and all of the, the consequences of that. And, and, you know, that is a vision that we we can realise if we all work towards it. But it, it needs investment in public health and education rather than in diabetes services and COPD, which is where the money's going at the moment. And we've got to have that leap of faith and, and, and the investment to do that. So that's something that I really want us to, to progress, but is really difficult. Yeah, I can completely understand that. And it seems so very similar to the same approach to climate in its entirety in that you want to go for this preventative and that'll just benefit the long term no end and it's a bit like that for carbon emissions we need to sort them out now rather than having to worry about adaption you know and yes. look at the symptoms all the time we, we need to be yeah. we need to be investing at the other end don't we and it's the yeah. same for the health service so i understand that must be a huge a huge huge challenge good luck with that yeah, thank you <laughs> but we all need to go for it and you know each of us can can shout and 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 use our voices in every way that we we can and you know i feel very passionate about that and and i I, I refuse not to have hope um you know i've got three children i've got a grand child and they are you know I refuse that for them not to have hope uh, and so I will continue to battle for that um, and and it although the money isn't forthcoming I think the understanding is coming um, and um, I'm not getting I think people have stopped thinking I'm a crackpot um, and understand where I'm coming from and actually so what they want now is for me to solve it all so I get lots of emails to say oh have you seen about this seminar or what about doing this? But they want me to do it for them. And that's also a bit frustrating. I, I can't fix this on my own. And, and you know, the four to five thousand people in my trust need to fix it together. And, and I think that little bit, it hasn't quite. Yes. That penny hasn't quite dropped yet, but, but it's, we can, we're getting there. Yeah. And so I'm interested because it would be very easy for you because you are enthusiastic and you want to make it happen and you've obviously got lots of interest within these different areas how do you decide what's important what you're going to attend to and what do you do with all the other stuff that all those extra demands uh I don't know the answer to that I, I <laughs> work in progress it's a work in progress I I do have to choose um I am trying to get resource so that I can get other people to do those things and and, and that's been a focus and um my part uh the, the 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 director of the greener program in our ICS is very supportive and is trying to tell me that I don't have to set up I have to, I have to do everything there are people that can help me and she needs my expertise so I'm I'm trying to do that but I have you know part of my reason for retiring from my clinical work um is to give me that time and I choose to spend it doing this some of the time not all of the time but um you know I, it's it's very energizing and i think to see the the realization and the movement growing is really exciting 
so but yeah I haven't quite worked out how to balance it yet but that's fine I'll, I'll get there and how do you see sort of the immediate future and the long-term future where 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 is your vision well what's my vision my vision is for a health service I think we need to turn that tanker into joined up services for well-being um, and 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 helping people to be their best healthy selves I my vision for the future will be a low carbon economy where people access services close to home where they are part of the solution that houses are built with you know low carbon technology there's not you don't need a lot of technology and that we have communities that look after each other and solve our own problems so a lot of that can be locally based and you know there are really good descriptions of, of that and you know my own experience of living in a, a community of um, eco houses has been you know really positive and brings me in daily contact with my food source and that we grow our own food you know with my environment because I'm reacting to the temperature and, and what's happening around um, to, to manage my house and I'm living in a very beautiful place because we've made time to make uh, uh, create a a, an environment around us which improves my mental health and you know helps me to carry on doing all this other stuff that I do so uh, you know I think that that would be my vision and I and you know I, I completely accept that I am very privileged um in you know my education my job my income where I live which part of the world I live in even um and and that isn't going to be possible for everyone but but a lot of these things would be so positive for people who are struggling and and I think we should be trying to create healthy cities healthy green cities um, and communities as well so I think that is a you know a vision that we could make happen if if we choose to and yeah well that's and, and health is just part of that bigger thing that's just a super place to sort of end our conversation on Helena because it, it ties in everything and it's a very it's a very positive way of of embracing the future, but also having that realism of what needs to be done. Uh, and uh, and as you said earlier, you, you know you've got you've got children and you've got grandchildren, and all of these things have come together for you, which is what makes your story in particularly interesting because the light has come on in all your different areas and you're bringing it all together so i do wish you the very biggest success in driving this forward it's it's um it's a big job to be done but um and obviously you're not doing it alone <laughs> but carry on the great work because it sounds so exciting thank you thank you very much thank you i thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with helena her networking evangelism is quite something, and her enthusiasm for driving climate action impressive. There is so much scope for reducing climate emissions within one of the biggest institutions in the world. And what I hadn't considered before was the influence they can play to the wider population through the spread of climate conversations by staff networks and to patients. I really admired Helena's expansive thinking and could see how every aspect of the NHS could benefit from an environmental lens, from purchasing to surgery to end-of-life care. Striving for good health outcomes too can go hand in hand with good climate outcomes. In producing this episode, I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing. 
Jeremy Jones for providing the music and to you for listening. Don't forget you can follow the podcast to get automatic access to each new episode. And it would be lovely if you could rate, review and share it too. It really helps. Until next time, bye for now.